This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And Jim Callis could get... Things could get a little heated in this episode of the podcast. Maybe the most fired up Jim Callis since the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association suspended Jason Groom. Uh, we will get to that in a bit. Jim, try to control yourself through the early part of the podcast. I had forgotten how worked up I got about that. So that, that is the standard we're looking to match or equal. You're yeah. the only one who forgot about that, by the way. If the, uh, if the pre-podcast... Uh, meeting is any indication this should get good so stay locked in we're going to start though we'll we'll ease into it with a trade uh because it was a prospect for prospect trade on uh tuesday i think it was uh alec mills or wednesday i guess alec mills right-handed pitcher uh goes to the cubs for donnie deweese who goes back to the royals now mills had been designated for assignment by the Royals, so they had to do something with him or they would have to outright him, and they end up getting a prospect back in Donnie DeWeese. I guess I'll just get your thoughts on each of these guys. Um, Mills, I think, was number eight in the Royals system. He's now number 16 for the Cubs. I'll start with you, Jim. Uh, what is there to like about Alec Mills? Yeah, he throws a lot of strikes first and foremost. And I'd like to say things that, things that did not outrage me, since I'll probably be outraged later in the podcast, like uh, in terms of a, a trade involving two of the teams that I handled the prospect watch for, this was about as easy as it gets last night because they were both guys on top 30, so it was just a matter of update uh, the intro paragraph and figure out where they go on their new list. And, uh, and so it was like a very easy trade uh, at that point. But, no, Mills, what he is, is he, he's nice depth for the Cubs should they need another starting pitcher or a multi-inning reliever at some point this year. You know, I don't know if there's anything that's really a true plus pitch. You know, fastball sits around 93. Got a solid changeup, okay breaking stuff. Throws a lot of strikes. Uh, generally keeps the ball down. You know, kind of a good story. This is a guy who's a walk-on at Tennessee Martin. Became a 22nd round pick. Blew out his elbow in his first full year uh, as a pro. And then came back real quickly um, and got to the big leagues and made his debut last year. I actually talked to him a little bit at the Rookie Career Development Program. He was our, our Royals interview subject. And uh, it was in, you know, he was talking about how you know, he's only in the big leagues for three and a third innings last year. And then he kind of got away from his strength, which is throwing strikes. And I think he tried to be a little too fine. And he, he's looking for another opportunity. It was kind of a, a good experience in a way. If there's a good experience getting a 13-and-a-half ERA, is that you learn, you know, look, i got to trust my stuff and, and not try to nibble at guys and, and just do what got me there. Anything to add, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, um, and I love how, by the way, like uh, in our world, we evaluate a trade solely based on how much extra work it gives us. It has nothing <laughs> to do with how talented guys are. That's um, am I the only one who, you know, if I'm trading a pitcher to the Cubs, I pause for half a second and I think about a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who was kind of not a – hugely regarded prospect and you wonder boy i wonder if the cubs are going to be able to do something with alec mills 
Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Kyle Hendricks, but they do seem to work well with pitchers. I mean, even Jake Arrieta, not the same kind of pitcher at all, obviously, uh, was not a, a finished product and had struggled some. Uh, so I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see you know what the Cubs are able to do with Mills and a limited ceiling, but for an organization that has done a much better job of developing hitters uh, to be able to add some pitching uh, without reading up uh, too much from their offensive depth by trading Deweese, you know, probably a pretty good job for them. Jim mentioned that Mills was a late-round draft pick. Deweese a different story. Second-round pick in 2015. He's a little younger, just 23 years old. How about his upside compared to Mills, Jonathan? You can go first on him. Well, you know, he was one of these college performer types, um, and he had, I mean, I, I you term it a decent first full season. You know, he started in low A ball, made it up to high A. Uh, he runs well, makes good contact, doesn't strike out a ton, didn't really show that much power uh, last year, um, although he had 14 triples, which is just something that stands out. You don't see much. So I don't know that there's like a ton of upside. I think it's the, he's the kind of guy that could be a a solid performer. Uh, you know, maybe maybe he's a, a left fielder. Maybe he's a really good fourth outfielder when all is said and done. Jim. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, he had a, a tremendous year in 2015. He, in, in college, he led NCAA Division One in runs, hits, total bases, and slugging. Although he played in a very favorable home run uh, home park at North Florida, and just didn't show the same kind of power as Jonathan alluded to in his first full pro season. He, I mean, where, where he stands out for me is well, the Royals have a bunch of toolsy outfielders who don't always hit. And Dewey's, I think, might become like almost immediately their best hitting outfield prospect and good athlete. He's got a, a well, well below average arm that you know you definitely can't play him in right, and, it, and it's a little bit of a liability and and even in left field. But he runs well enough to play center, and I, I think you know ultimately how much power you know he provide. You know if he if he could get 15 homers per year. You know, he he might be a regular. If he's going to hit five like he did in his first full year in pro ball, then he's probably more of that that useful outfield reserve, although you can't really play him in right. A guy could put the bat on the ball and run and go and catch the ball. All right, so that trade is is behind us now. Here we go. Rule changes uh, heading to the minor leagues in 2017, a big one, rookie level ball. So basically the Gulf Coast League and the Arizona League We'll have a new extra inning rule in 2017. It's something that has been a rule in some international levels um, at some point in extra innings. But in the 10th inning, so your first extra inning, a runner will start the frame on second base. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of goals here. One is to maybe shorten up the games, let the let the teams get on the board again more quickly, and in doing so, save pitching staffs and maybe get the game in before fans have to start leaving to uh, to get to work the next day. A lot of different things here. Jim, you got to go first because you've gotten us all set here as far as, uh, I guess, disagreement with this type of rule change. So w- what are you most against when it comes to this rule change? Well, I just think it's a gimmick. It's not real baseball. They, they use this internationally, which just I, 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 to, to settle international games, you know, after if they go – I don't know if it's eleventh or twelfth inning, but like you start with a runner on second base and you go from there. And you thought like nobody's saying they're going to do this in the big leagues yet, but this is 
you know, there's been some discussion. This is experimental. Who knows where it could lead? I just think it's garbage. You know, one, if we're talking about this in the minor leagues, if you don't want to have a game last more than 12 innings, fine. Do what they do in the Arizona Fall League. Call call a game a tie after a certain amount. Don't do any kind of goofy way to resolve it. But in turn, if this is supposed to be some method to – to save, you know, time a game, or I saw Joe Torre was talking about position players pitching, which I always kind of enjoy when you get to that spectacle in the 18th inning. It's just canceled, you know, call a game a tie after 12 innings. If we ever see this in the major leagues, it would just be ludicrous. You know, this is this is silly. You know, I mean, well, what's next? Are we going to put the ball on the tee and see if guys can just hit the ball out of the park? You know, why don't we save the pitcher's arms and we'll just put a ball on the tee and play tee ball in the 12th inning? It's a stupid gimmick. It's the dumbest rule change. I hate it internationally, and and I hate it for professional baseball. I hope it dies a quick death. You mentioned internationally, and it will also be a part of the World Baseball Classic this spring. Although it won't be until the eleventh inning in the World Baseball Classic. But can you imagine if the world, like the World Baseball Classic, gets determined by this goofy rule? Like like you have an extra inning game in the final. Like what if what if we I, again? I can't conceive that this would ever happen in the big leagues. But what if the what if the Indians had tied up the Cubs in the tenth inning of Game Seven of the World Series? We're going to start the eleventh inning by putting runners on second base. I mean, hey, come on, that's this is stupid. I think there's a few things. The one thing, if you make this a rule in the major leagues, which I I agree, I can't imagine it ever happening. I don't think it would be a postseason rule. I think it would I be would, a regular right. season right. rule, and then you'd play it out. In why, the why would you have different rules in the regular season? Postseason? Well, think that of hockey. Hockey has penalties. Go ahead, Jonathan. You jump in, and then we can all kind uh, no, of. Argue I was going to interject something very similar. Uh, just that. I mean, they, they would not have that rule in 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 postseason. I can't imagine that that would ever get approved. I don't think it'll ever get approved. I, like I really, really want to come out strongly in favor of the rule, just so I can argue with Jim, but I can't. Um, cause it's, I think it is, uh, it is ridiculous. Maybe coach pitch. All right. I'm going to do my uh, best to argue when you're done, Jonathan, but keep going. Um, it, it's just, I mean, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, and my dog thinks it's a terrible idea. Yeah. And so did Jim's. I think the dogs are in an uproar. Over yeah, no, those, those are both mine. They, they, they've been complaining to me that they haven't gotten enough airtime on our podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think that, uh, I just think so. There's been way too much focus on on the time of game stuff overall. Uh, you know, we've both seen in, in fall league and have to written stories and broadcast games when they were trying all the pitch clock stuff. And some of that I think has been folded in somewhat nicely without it interfering with the uh, uh, you know what makes baseball so great. I mean, doing something like this, you might as well you know why don't we just have a clock now? You know, and if we get to a certain time, the game's over. But I do agree, I think, with Jim, especially at the lower levels uh, in those complex leagues where uh, it's just about, largely about guys getting their professional feet wet and, and development, end the game after 10 innings, you know, like they do in the fall league. Uh, there's no reason to keep, to, to play, you know, way into extra innings in order to see who wins. Yeah, they like to win, and you know, I've talked to guys who've won, you know, Gulf Coast League championships, and it means a lot to them. They're still going to have a champion at the end. That's not going to keep that from happening. All right, here's my thoughts, because I'm going to disagree a little bit with you guys. Uh, time of game, I agree with you, Jonathan. If anybody saw the NCAA championship football game uh, this year, time of game should not be worried about, because that game went on forever. And Major League Baseball games, while they're still 
you know, generally around that three-hour mark, I think is fine, especially when it's a sport where you don't have to be fully locked in. You can, if you're watching it on TV, you can change the channel and get back to it. So I agree with you on that. As far as this rule goes, at the major league level, of course not. It's preposterous to do this at the major league level, and it completely would change how you look at the game with its history, and nothing would work. But at the minor league level, where you're already playing double headers that are two seven-inning games, you've already kind of blown up what you're doing. If you're going to play a 14-inning doubleheader when the rest of your games are nine innings each, well, I think that's silly. So if you're going to do that, why don't you just do something like this to get the fans home and and, and do that sort of thing? Because that's another argument is, from the fans' sake, uh, Joe Posnanski guys had a, had an interesting article, and he said in g- generally he's against all types of rule changes. But he did have the thought that, you know what, when a major league game hits that 10th inning on a midweek game, everybody leaves. And there's, you know, a few thousand people left to see the end of that game. And those people that left, left not seeing how the game finished because they have to get to work or their kids have to get to school. So now, like I said, I'm against it at the major league level, 100%. But I think it could be really good in the minor league. So I'm going to disagree with you guys because I would throw it right in there with... uh, you know, with what hockey does and what other sports do, I would also be fine with calling a game in the minor leagues a tie after 10 innings. Um, but either way, you're ending the game, and we're not watching single-A, double-A, rookie-level baseball for 14 innings because that just seems unnecessary. All right, so so wait, wait feel free to rebuttal. Yeah, yeah, so well, wait a second. Because, all right, you, know, you go ahead, Jim. Well, I was going to say, that the scary thing about this, though, is I don't think this is just for the minor leagues. This is being billed as a, a, an experimental rule to see how it goes. And Joe Torre is referencing 18-inning major league games with infielders pitching. Uh, and I think, you know, getting back to the time of game thing, the, the time of game stuff is never going to get solved unless there's a radical change to the rules of the game, and this isn't going to do it because by the time this rule came into play to say shave time of game, you've already played nine or ten innings or whatever it's going to wind up being until they get to a point. I mean, the problem is that there's just more pitches today than there were 50 years ago. Guys take longer at bats. There's more pitching changes. There's, you know, what, you know, 100 50 pitches in a typical major league game for both teams or something close to it, and there's a long time between them, uh, you know, unless you have major changes to the way the game is played, they're not going to be able to get the games much under three hours. It's just not going to happen. But I, I, I do think that this is an experiment to see how it looks and with the idea that maybe we will try to adopt this at higher levels and potentially the major leagues. But, you know, again, if you don't want to stick around for the 14th end of a game, fine. And if it's just to save arms in the minor leagues, I think we all agree. Say, okay, it's like there's on a fall league. We're not going to play past 10 innings. We're not going to play past 12 innings and go from there. I so agree, you'd rather just end a game in a tie than maybe just find a way to make it a quicker winner and loser? Yeah, because it's a gimmick. Yes. It's a gimmick to put a runner on second base. I mean, uh, But the minor where... leagues are all gimmicks. Everything no, about minor league gimmicks. baseball these the, the, days. No, the, the game itself's not a well, gimmick. Well, not the no game. Okay. You don't have the shortstop doing the dizzy bat race in between. <laughs> I mean, well, why don't, why don't we start, like, in every inning, we'll take a fielder off the field. And, and then if they hit the ball, you know, or, or, you know, we'll... You know, like Jonathan said, we'll do coach pitch, or we'll we'll have no outfielders. If you hit the ball, the outfield. We have inf- or, or like the hitting challenge of the following. When we have like inflatable cats out in left field, and if you hit it, you get a run. <laughs> yeah, first team to do that. So it's just, that's that's what I don't like about. It. I just don't. It's a gimmick. I mean, well, why don't we, why don't we then say okay? Because we got to get the extra innings moving along. 
it's going to be three ball walks and two strike strikeouts to make it go quick. I mean, it's, it's just it's it's or, not one pitch. Game. You got a one pitch. You, you swing at it or not. You know, if you don't swing at it, you're out. So you got to swing at everything. Or put the ball in the tee, like I suggest. I mean, it's yeah, just, there, it's, there you go. It, you know, now all, these are all pitch. preposterous, obviously, but uh, we, we are in agreement that they're the most preposterous thing. I wanted to add, say one last thing, and Tim, I know you were, I think you're trying to move us on, but, um, you know, one thing you said, Tim, is that, you know, this, this complaint, you know, that people leave uh, games, you know, because they, they go on too late and they, they can't see the end, um, yet you are not suggesting that this rule ever be allowed in the major leagues. Is there been a preponderance of people complaining that they have to leave rookie ball games before they're over? I, don't think I was thinking more of the upper levels of the minors, <laughs> double A, triple A. I, I don't think that's been an issue either. Uh, do you think do you really in the think, afternoon have to get to the I mean, early bird special people, at 5 o'clock? Are people in – yeah, right. So yeah, that's true. In Florida, those, the Gulf Coast League games are at like 11 a.m. But, I mean, are people in Chattanooga really be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't get to see <laughs> what happened in the lookouts game in the 15th inning? No. I do remember back in my double A covering days in, in Pennsylvania that I would uh, cover a Reading Phillies game, leave because I had to get back to do the newscast, do the sports cast, check the score, and realize they were still playing in the 13th inning, go back to the ballpark at midnight uh, and, and get highlights for the rest of the game to show the next day. Wasn't one of my favorite things to do, but it, it did happen a few times. And maybe I'm a little selfish, guys, and biased because I work here at MLB.com, and, and sometimes we're here till 5, 6 in the morning when a West Coast game goes that late. So maybe there's some bias in my thoughts. But like I said, I, I, wouldn't, I would not want this in the major leagues anyway. But I don't know. I, I think it's worth seeing how it goes at the minor league level just for the minor leagues. But I will move this along. Should I even attempt to bring up uh, intentional walks without throwing the pitches? I don't mind that. I've actually See, and I hate it. So there you go. (laughs) We're 100% on board with that. All right, because every year there's a situation where a pitcher throws the ball to the backstop and a runner moves up in that situation, and I I feel like that's part of the game. Right, it might happen once a year, though. I, I don't have a problem with that. All right, so now, we're just going to continue. I also don't think it, in the end, saves that much time. How many intentional walks per game are there? Right, right. All right, anyway. There you go. That was quick. All right, let's move on to the uh, the World Baseball Classic from a different perspective, not the extra innings and what may happen, but what prospects are going to be involved in the World Baseball Classic. 21 total prospects who finished last season in their club's top 30s, according to MLB Pipeline, are in the World Baseball Classic. Five of them from the top 100 that just came out last week. So there's going to be some young talent on hand, certainly. And it's actually, for the most part, all in one group, which is the group with the United States, although none of them on the U.S. team. But uh, Alex Reyes of the Cardinals will pitch for the Dominican Republic. Jose De Leon, uh, now with the Rays, will pitch for Puerto Rico. Tyler O'Neill, the Mariners, will pitch for Canada. Alex Verdugo of the Dodgers for Mexico and Jorge Alfaro, prospect for the Phillies, will pitch for Colombia. One other guy I thought was interesting, Dilson Herrera, is not a prospect anymore, barely. He's also going to be on the Colombian team. Jim, I'm not going to ask you what you think of the World Baseball Classic. I'm just going to ask you what you think of the difference between players like this, prospects, playing in something like this as opposed to getting reps in in spring training. Yeah, and, and, and like I'm not... Tim's only the fact I'm probably not the world's biggest fan of the World Baseball Classic, although it does not anger me. I'm not angry about the World Baseball Classic. Uh, I'm just not – I just don't get caught up in it very much. 
But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, everybody kind of seems like they cooperate equally from a team standpoint, which is fair. I would say, you know, if I was the Cardinals, I'd probably rather have Alex Reyes pitching with my team, you know, not necessarily, you know, trying to win a game with some kind of importance attached to it, getting him ready for the season. You know, same thing with Jose De Leon and the Rays. But, I mean, they have all kinds of usage rules, so it's not like anybody's going to go throw 120 pitches. But, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if I'm a team, I'd rather have I'd rather have my guy not make the World Baseball Classic team and just stay in my camp and, and work on what I want him to work on. Jonathan? Um, you know, I think it's a, kind of a, a mixed bag because uh, I think seeing how guys compete, especially prospect-level guys, at that level can, can – Help them. Are they getting you know ratcheted up a little bit earlier than they would normally? Yeah. Although you, you talk to a lot, so many guys, and they think spring training's too long. Um, you know, from the from the big league standpoint, um, you know, the timing of it is always tricky. There isn't a good time to hold this event in, in a lot of ways, and doing it in early March, uh, you know, it, it does get a, a little complicated, especially for some of the younger guys. I think. Uh, it's good that there are five top 100 guys. There are probably some guys who are approached, especially for the teams that don't have, uh, you know, a, a full stable of, of big leaguers to, to fill out rosters, uh, who said no just because uh, maybe they're in their first big league camp or uh, it's going to be their first full season in the big leagues. Uh, I think that's like a, a big reason why Alex Bregman uh, decided not to play for Team Israel, uh, for example. So I think it gets complicated. I think with someone like Reyes, it also helps that they're, you know, there's a lot of pitching uh, for them to choose from. So I don't think they're going to be leaning too heavily on him along with the usage rules. Uh, I think it, uh, it should be okay. I've always thought it's, it's a difference between position players and pitchers as well. I remember last World Baseball Classic, Xander Bogarts was a big part of the Netherlands team because um, obviously the, the Curacao players tend to play for, for the Netherlands. Um, and there's less concern for guys that are getting at bats versus the the risk of a pitcher. But I guess that's true of anything, right? There's always that extra risk factor for a pitcher as opposed to a position guy. No thought. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I uh, I was. It was such a an important point you were making, Tim, that I wanted we're, we're to let it sink in. Yes. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think there's that it, there is always that that risk. Um, you know, there is that that small fear that you're asking a guy to go full tilt. So early, sort of like you know, on, you know, we we do all the draft coverage too. And uh, when you know a high school kid goes to a showcase in January and is trying to light up the radar gun, um, I think that's why you see a lot of the times these top uh, top high school pitchers not going to those early showcases uh, to pitch anyway uh, for for that reason. So I think it's along those lines. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Again, I mean, I don't think I'm as worked up about the World Baseball Classic as you think I may be. But, you know, you, you could get hurt in a spring training game, too. You just want to make sure your guys don't try to do too much, you know, trying to win the World Baseball Classic. But, you know, it, it's hard. How do you tell somebody not to – you can't make a guy not overthrow in the ninth inning with the game on the line or you know, maybe try to stretch a hit and, and, and pop a hamstring. And, you know – they they have seen that I think I don't have the studies in front of me, but if you look at past studies, I mean, it seems like players who participate, their injury rate seems to be a little bit higher than guys who went through a normal spring training. But I mean, as Jonathan said, there's no great, there's no perfect time to hold this event. I think this is probably the best time to hold it. I don't, I certainly wouldn't want to held during the middle of the season. 
I don't think after the season would really work. And it just you kind of have to make the best of the situation. Yeah, I mean, if you think about timing, probably the best time to hold it would be maybe in October with players that aren't in the postseason. But then baseball's taking viewers away from its obviously its prime event in the playoffs. And you so aren't that, getting the best players, happen. and frankly, I think a lot of players after playing, you know, spring training starts in February, would have less interest in playing in it in. Yeah. October than they would in, in March. True. This actually gets them out of spring training, which is as opposed to out of uh, off time and recovery time. So, yeah, there's no perfect time. It, it's because baseball is a sport that just takes up so much of the year, and you can't do it midseason. You can't take guys away from that like other sports, like soccer is able to do and other sports are able to do. It's just not ingrained enough in the sport. So it'll certainly be interesting. The one good thing is when these games are going on, we'll be able to see how these prospects are doing and it'll give us something to talk about here on the podcast. So there's a, another plus and another silver lining to the, the prospects in the world baseball classic. All right, guys, this has been one of, uh, one of the more fun podcasts I think we've had. It's always good when Jim gets fired up on the podcast and, and that was good stuff about the rule changes. We will monitor that as well at the rookie level. I think I can't see it going much further than that, but who knows? Um, well, it's maybe. an experiment, Tim. It's an, they're not experimenting to make rookie ball better. They're, no. they're experimenting to, to <laughs> possible implementation at the big league level. So it's it's better not happen. Sounds like a campaign slogan. Make rookie ball better. Anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.